Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hello, welcome to Impact the World. My guest today is a fellow Brit, also in America. It's Leon Logothetis. I got connected to Leon a couple of years ago and he has a fascinating story. He went from being a broker to the creator and host of The Kindness Diaries, a show that was picked up by Netflix and then went to Amazon Prime. And it's really all about how can we share kindness in the world with others and how will others be kind when we are in a vulnerable position and we're dependent on them for help. So in the show, Leon shares his story and how he created The Kindness Diaries. He also shares one of the most impactful episodes. And we generally talk about kindness in the world today, what it means, why it's important. So I hope you enjoy this show with Leon. And if you are a fan of the show and the guests that we have and what we do every week, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. Leon, welcome to Impact the World. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So you, over the last few years, did something really interesting. You created a show called The Kindness Diaries. So for anyone who hasn't seen the show, perhaps you could just explain to us what the concept of The Kindness Diaries is. Sure. So I used to be a broker. Uh, in the city of London, and pretty much on the outside, I had everything you could ever want, but on the inside, I had pretty much nothing you would want. Yeah. Um, I was very depressed, um, no real sense of purpose, and just, you know, not going anywhere fast. And I stumbled across the movie The Motorcycle Diaries, which is about this fellow who traveled around South America relying on kindness. And there was something about that movie that truly touched my heart in a profound way. Um, and to cut a long story short, uh, it didn't happen exactly in the moment I watched the movie, but The Kindness Diaries was a culmination of watching that movie. I quit my job, I started to travel around the world, and then a few years later, I decided to purchase a vintage yellow motorbike called Kindness One, sort of like Air Force One, yeah. but a little bit yellower, and I drove it from LA all the way around the world, back to LA, <laughs> with no money, no food, no gas, no place to stay. And I couldn't accept money. All I could accept was the kindness of strangers. But there was a bit of a twist. And the twist was that unsuspecting Good Samaritans received a life-changing gift. And I think the most amazing thing about the show and about the ethos of the show is that kindness, to me, is one of the values that so many of us celebrate. And I'll often hear people say, oh, where's the kindness? Or So the fact that you were going out there as an advocate and doing, doing this and being in this, I'm curious, there's many things I want to ask you, but what, how would you say doing that show changed your life? And I don't mean the show, I just, I mean the experience of being in that energy. Sure. Um, you know, I think we live in a world, specifically in the Western world, where you turn on the news and it's all, it's like disaster porn right? Mm -hmm. It's a catastrophe. Or fear porn. Fear porn, yeah. right? 
Um, and we've taken a magnifying glass and we've put it on all the bad. But what happens if you take that magnifying glass and you put it on the good? Amazing things happen because there are so many good things out there in the world. So basically, I think it took me from up here to down here. Yeah. Now, I wish I could stay down here all the time. Yeah. I can't. Maybe you can. Maybe some gurus can. I can't. But the more I stay down here, the freer I feel, the freer I become. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that it did. It took me from living in this world to living in a totally different, slower matrix type of world. Yeah. And you've, you've talked a little bit, uh, you've mentioned this to me before, about how many emails or messages that you've received from mm. people who uh, have literally had major transformations from watching the show. And I'm curious, you know, it, 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 what you set out to do, which is put that spotlight, it's traveled around the world. And I know many people who spoke to me about the show before I'd seen it or met you. And um, yeah, you you had the first two, first two seasons already and they were on Netflix and now on Amazon Prime and I think shortly coming to Magnolia. Yes. Which is part of the Discovery Channel. Absolutely. Are you going to do a season three? Look, we're working on it. Prior, prior to COVID, we yeah. were very close to doing it and COVID came and, you know, people couldn't travel. So season three will come and it'll be all around America, the 50 states. So it's, it's exciting. It's also daunting because this journey is, it's not a simple journey. You know, you have to be constantly present. You have to be constantly in tune with other people's energies. And it's, it's tough. When I finish these trips, I just fall apart. Mm physically, mentally, because I've had to be like, like, like I am now, basically 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. No, no, it isn't. Yeah. And psychically too, because you're, yes. you're going through all of these healing moments with people. Yes. So you have this great idea. How do you take this great idea to execution? So what was the process of creating this show, going out there, figuring out how to do it. Was that sure. easy? Did Netflix commission you or did you later bring the show to Netflix? How did that all sure. work? So I'll start a few years back. As I said, I was a broker, so I quit that job. And the first trip around, no, it wasn't around the world, but it was around America, I walked from Times Square to the Hollywood sign, relying on kindness. And I had this... Uh, TV guy with me who was my friend and we filmed it and, you know, we thought we could sell it. We tried to sell it. No one would buy it. Uh, but finally, I got it sold. Uh, we got it on National Geographic, which was very lucky. Um, I then ended up living in Los Angeles and I started working. I ran a production company. So I had some history. I knew kind of how the business worked. Um, and with the Kindness Diaries, I went out and I did it myself. So I had the capacity to fund it myself. Mm. Now, I'm not suggesting people do that. Financially, it's not very clever. But I did it anyway. Um, and then I tried to sell it. And no one wanted it, which was a bit disheartening. Um, but finally, Netflix came and said, we'd like to purchase it. And that was really the turning point. Because they purchased a completed project. Um, and that was season one. And then season two was more of a commission. Perfect. Yeah. And that's really how you found the audience for the show, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, had this not been on Netflix, you and I probably wouldn't be talking. 
right? Mm. Because you wouldn't have heard about it and I wouldn't have heard and it wouldn't have happened. Mm. So it, it is very important to be able to, if you want your, your shows to kind of inspire people, it's very important to get it onto a specific channel that everyone knows. The moment you say, oh, the show's on Netflix, I'm like, oh, great. We go on Netflix and take a look. And I wasn't ready for all the madness that came with being on Netflix. I mean, I literally got thousands of emails. And there were times when I read every single email I received. Uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful thing. Beautiful. And I remember we met at Mike Dooley's Solarpalooza. Yes. We were both, um, Mike had brought us both in to be speakers. But yes. it was funny when someone said, oh, Leon Logothetis. And I, I didn't know you at the time, but I'd heard of the show. Yeah. So that, that was, it definitely carried, carried around you in that way. Um, so I'm curious, could you share with us like one of the most perhaps moving stories that you experienced yeah. or one of the yeah, most yeah. impactful? So I, I would go up to people in the street and I would say, can I stay in your house tonight? And they would say, no, which of course is understandable. Um, I was, happened to be in Pittsburgh and I was trying to find a place to stay and no one would help. No worries, I get it. And I was in this park and I went up to this chap, started talking briefly and I said to him, you know, can I stay in your house tonight? And he looks at me and he goes, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm homeless. <sighs> Felt a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. right? I just asked a homeless man to stay in his house. Mm -hmm. I'm about to walk off. He didn't look homeless, right? About to walk off. And um, he says, well, hold on. If you want, you can stay with me tonight. I'll feed you. I'll protect you. Then I'll give you some clothes. Wow. And there was that every fiber part of my being that was like, Leon, buddy, you're not sleeping on the streets of Pittsburgh tonight. Then there was other counterintuitive voices said, Leon, my good friend, you are sleeping on the streets of Pittsburgh tonight. And that's exactly what happened. I ended up sleeping on the streets of Pittsburgh with Tony. And it was just an incredible experience. He was someone that had nothing, yet he had everything. And it was an example of, it, it was so interesting because as a broker, I had everything but I had nothing. Mm. And this guy had nothing, but he had everything, right? Um, and the next morning, I asked him where he wanted, where he felt truly loved. And he said, I felt loved at school. And I said, clearly you didn't go to an English school. <laughs> and uh, I took him in the bike and I told him what we were truly doing, which was giving back. And we ended up putting him up in an apartment and sending him back to school. He always wanted to be a chef. Mm. So it was a, it was a really life-changing moment for me to have connected with this man, to like have that full circle of having everything, but having nothing, to meet someone, again, I've said it before, but I'll say it again, to meet someone who had nothing, but really had everything. It was like, it was life-changing. Well, and when you were a broker, like at what point did you realize you were really depressed? Like, did it creep up slowly? Did you have to achieve the kind of success things that you thought might bring you happiness to realize you were unhappy or? I realized it literally the first day that I walked into the office. But in fact, I realized it months before. I knew that this wasn't my path, but I didn't have the courage to find my own path. And what pushed me to find my own path was pain, not the physical type, the emotional type. Uh, and that pushed me to make a decision, to be like, I, can't, I just can't do this anymore. I don't want to sit behind this desk. There's nothing wrong with sitting behind a desk if that's your passion. But for me, it wasn't. And I don't want to sit behind this desk and I want to go out into the world and connect with people. 
um, and have moments and sit here and be interviewed and interview and, and connect and touch my humanity and touch someone else's humanity. And I couldn't do that working in the finance world. That was me. I couldn't do it because it was all about money. The relationships were all transactional. I'll be nice to you so that you can give me what I want. And I wanted to go out into the world and connect deeply where it wasn't transactional. It was, look, if you don't want to put me up, no worries. You know, it's fine. We'll just move on. And it was a more of a heart-centered connection. That was really, without realizing it, what I was doing. Well, I love what you just said because you're like, I'll be nice to you if you give me what, you, what, what I want. What, and, and yet the irony is you went and did that on the streets. So the people who were kind to you had no idea that you were going to gift them. Yes, they didn't. So... What was childhood like for you around kindness? I'm, you know, I'm curious. You know, yeah. I think we often become advocates of either the thing that we needed that we didn't get. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious about that for you, kindness and the compassion that you now want to practice so yeah. much. Look, like I said, on the outside, I had everything you could want. But I lacked people being kind, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I, I, I felt like I lived in an environment where there was a total lack of kindness, for whatever reason. Certainly at school and certainly at home. Um, but I had this one teacher who would look at me every day. And she knew I was being bullied and she knew that I wasn't doing well at home. And she would say to me, I believe in you. And I felt that every day from her. She was a witness to my pain and she was a witness to my humanity. And I never forgot that. And part of what I do with the Kindness Diaries and with other things I do is to try, in my own small way, to be the witness for you that everything is going to be okay. Mm. I see you, right? Um, and I never, I never forgot her. Years and years afterwards, I, if I was having a bad time, I would remember her words. I'd be like, well, she thought I was amazing. So therefore, I am amazing. And I don't know how my life would have been had I not had her. Have you ever read the book, The Drama of a Gifted Child? No, but I've heard of it and okay. I thought it was a great it's a, title. Yeah, it's a, a book by Alice Miller and I share this often. She basically says that if you have a witness who sees you, there's hope. If you don't have a witness that sees you, then you're in a pickle. Yeah. And I had a witness. It's amazing. It's just one person. Yeah. That's all it takes. Because yeah. I also know many stories from people I've met or worked with over the years where they didn't have anyone and, and their life took a very different turn. Yes. So it just takes one person. It really does. So you do the show. Yeah. And then not long after, you bring out a book, which is called Go Be Kind. Indeed. Tell us a little bit about Go Be Kind. So... Go Be Kind really is about being kind. Mm -hmm. It's about going out into the world and touching people's lives in a profound way. People would always say to me, well, Leon, I can't quit my job and go around the world on a yellow motorbike or drive from Alaska to Argentina in a yellow beetle. And I said, okay, I understand that. So I created Go Be Kind as like your own personal kindness diaries adventure. So it's 28 and a half adventures to become happier. So you go out and you do all these things. I mean, now with COVID, it's a bit more difficult to do, but you go out and connect. You go out and kind of moment to moment build that muscle of being kind, 
of showing compassion, of showing empathy. Um, and it truly makes life happier. It, it just does. Doesn't mean that I do it perfectly, because trust me, I don't. But I build that muscle every day. And there were moments where I'm like, oh God, I'm having a terrible day. And I may be mean to someone. And I'm like, inside, sometimes on the outside, I'm like, oh no. You're like giving speeches about kindness. <laughs> You're sharing about love and empathy and you've just been an asshole. You know, you've got to stop that. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like building yeah. that muscle. And that's the only reason I can really do what I do is because I know I'm imperfect and I know that I'm going to go to the gym every day. The, the emotional yeah. gym. But that is relatable. So it's interesting, you know, you mentioned earlier gurus. Like I think when I was younger and I was going to self-growth and spirituality workshops, you know, there was this, oh, the guru's got it all figured out. And I met a lot of those gurus and they, they might have looked like they had it figured out, but I, I met some of them behind the scenes and I was like, they don't look like they've got this figured out. And for me, the guru actually became the person who could talk about the human struggle. Mm. And like, like you said, it is a muscle. And one of the things that I've helped a lot of people with over the years that I also needed to be helped with at the beginning is you can be a really good healer or therapist or facilitator for somebody else. You do not have to have it all figured out. You know, there's a certain skill in holding space for someone else's transformation, but we're all human. And like you said, it's you develop the muscle and you cultivate it very much like a gratitude diary will change your perspective on your day if you practice and build that daily gratitude practice. So I actually think it's really valuable that you share that side of the coin too, because then I'm not distanced from you. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, cool. He's saying I can practice, but I don't have to have it all figured out, which I think is true for all of us. Definitely. Uh, and like I said, there's no perfection. If I gave you the telephone number of my girlfriend, she'll tell you how imperfect I am, right? I remember uh, giving a speech in front of these kids and this 12-year-old kid puts his hand up and he says, Mr. Leon, have you ever been mean? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie to the child. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to lie to the child. You're going to tell the child the truth. Yeah. Because, you know, as a kid and as an adult, I would watch these, like, gurus, as you say, mm. like these preachers, and there was something incongruent with their words and their being. Yep. And I was like, no, no. Right? And I was like, if I ever get to that stage where I'm the person teaching, right, I'm going to tell the truth. Mm. And the truth is that Leon can be an asshole. And Leon can also be the kindness guy. And that's the same thing with each and every one of us. Yeah. So it's interesting with your book and people receiving that book, have you, are there any stories you can share about what people have said about applying the practice of kindness in their lives? Or because I'm sure some of our listeners and viewers will want to check the book out, but I'm curious to hear from the readers, you know, what, what has been the, the effect for the people who've... Sure, sure. To me, and what I did with the book, was I wanted to make people feel. I didn't want to make it like a science experiment. I didn't want to make it like you needed a PhD to read it. I wanted to make people feel. So if I made them feel, they were more apt to go and make some changes in their life. So that's what I did. I kind of did my best to open their hearts and change their behaviors by making them feel. And look, there were many people that said that. They're like, you know, thank you so much. I, I felt connected to this. It enabled me to, 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 to change the way I was living, specifically based on 
opening up their hearts that little bit and coming from a place where I'm saying I can be an asshole, right? Which I say in the book. I don't think I use the word asshole in the book. But, but my point being that if you come from a, like a, a human place and not like a Gandhi place, but even Gandhi mm-hmm. wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. right? No one is perfect. Mm-mm. No one. So I think, I think hopefully they found the fact that I was coming from my heart and, and trying to make them feel a, a positive step. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the people I know or work with or that will probably watch this show, kindness is not foreign to, to, to this community. It's mm. something that I think people in this community would want to cultivate, would be actively offering. What would you say are the resistances that we have towards being kind, like that you may have encountered? Because I'm sure the people you tell what you're doing, friends who are like, what what is it? Why would we resist kindness? Or what are the objections that you hear a lot from people who think that you have to be careful about how kind you are? Sure. Look, as a species, we're, we're like very delicate, right? Our hearts are very delicate. Some of us are super sensitive, like me, I'm sure like you. Some of us are a little bit less sensitive. But if you open up your vulnerability to someone, you can get squashed. If you open up your vulnerability to someone, they can take advantage. They can think that you're being weak, right? Like in the workplace, no promotion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think it is looked down upon because ultimately, if I was to use one word, it would be weakness, yeah? But it's not weakness. Mm. I'm not telling you or anyone to go out in the world and be like, oh, then I'm just gonna be like this mm-hmm. and uh, you can step on me but I'm just going to love you and be kind and it's all going to work itself out. Muhammad Ali, good man, man of service, man of love, man of kindness. How many of you would mess with Muhammad Ali? No one, right? Mandela, good man, man of service, man of love, man of kindness. How many of you would mess with Mandela? And my point is, you have this boundary in place. Don't, don't mess with me, right? Don't cross the boundary. But as long as you don't cross the boundary, here we are. So you do have to protect yourself. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you don't protect yourself because you can go out and be kind. You can go out and be vulnerable and someone will squash you, right? And that's ultimately on you. But you get to a place where you're like, okay, this fellow I can be gentle with, I can show my vulnerability to, I can be kind because he's safe. This person, not going there. I'll, I'll stay here. So let's pivot a little bit away from the topic and talk about being a creator, you know, which is one of the things that this show is built around because all of us are creative. And I know many people are putting their thing out into the world now, whereas perhaps they might have been hesitant a few years ago. What hesitations or doubts or fears did you come across when you were beginning to either make the show or perhaps when you were selling the show and realizing the show is about to go out there because that has a big effect on our life I think when we haven't been like on camera or broadcasting or even if it's in your local community suddenly taking a leadership position and standing up in a meeting or whatever how how did you navigate that were you confident fine or were you hesitant it was more of a process I remember maybe 10 years ago it was the first blog post I ever posted maybe like a paragraph or two and it was so difficult to post this blog. I mean, ultimately, 
maybe 15 people read it, yeah. right? But it was so difficult because I was like, well, am I going to upset my family? Yeah. Am I going to upset the person living next to me? Am I going to upset anyone? But I did it. And it was a slow process of getting to the kindness diaries. And I think part of the reason why people get don't create is because when you create something, it comes from your heart. If I create something and I'm so proud of it, right, and I give it to you and you're like, this is crap. Mm -hmm. You're not just having a go at the creation. You're having a go at my heart. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not strong enough to be able to kind of deal with that, it will destroy me. Yeah. So with the kindness diaries, I'd kind of got to a place where I was kind of okay with people telling me what I was doing wasn't very good. Doesn't mean that had they said to me the kindness diaries wasn't very good, I would have been okay with that. But I did it. And I was like, I didn't think too much about it. I just did it. And look, there were some people that don't like it. Yeah. There are some people that like talk terribly about me. That, that's okay. There are some people that do like it. It, it doesn't, do, do I get upset when I see some of these reviews? Yes. My, my, my girlfriend says, what are you doing? Don't read these reviews. I was like, oh, just let me read the reviews. I'll be fine. And then five minutes later, I'm having, I'm on a tirade, right? Um, but it doesn't stop me from doing it. Mm. You know, like we're working on a new documentary and it could upset a lot of people. I hope it doesn't, but it probably will. What am I going to do? I'm not, not going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the best I can. And if they like it, great. And if they don't, they don't. Yeah. Um... It's interesting because I think what you just said en encapsulates so much. I think if you are going to put anything out into the world, like a friend of mine uh, was doing something a couple of years ago and she was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit nervous. Like, you know, what if someone doesn't like it? And I went, oh, someone won't like it. Like, absolutely. I can guarantee you whether or not they write a review is another story. And then how you react to the review that they don't like it is going to be something for you to work out in yourself. Yeah. Or you just don't look at the reviews if yeah. you find that you can't just come to a kind of internal peace with other people's projections or opinions. Um, it, it's guaranteed. So what's this new documentary, if you're allowed to talk about it yet, what's the kind of um, the subject matter? So, you know, I think we've, we, we have all had dark nights of the soul. Some of us have taken those dark nights of the soul and gone inwards and found our our peace. Mm. Some of us haven't. And I had a dark night of the soul. And um, the documentary is basically about that and how I went to India to find God. Um, and it's about my journey to that place. Um, I don't want to give too much away. Did I find God? Did I not find God? I mean, I think you know that I did because you know God is within mm -hmm. each and every one of us and within everything that we see and feel yeah. and hear and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it was a very, you know, the kind of stories I, I opened up specifically in season two, but this one is, is even more of, mm. of, of, of an opening, right? It's more like, and I don't know if I could have done that a few years ago because had I opened to that degree and they squashed me, I, I don't know how I would have dealt with it. Now, if I open up to that degree and they squash me, I'm like, you know what, whatever, you know, squash me. I don't care. I'm the one that went out in, into, the, into the ether to connect and hopefully you like it. And if you don't, whatever, you don't. Yeah, and there will be people who won't want to squash you. Let's, ho let's hope so. Let's <laughs> hope so. All, it's always the way. And I, 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 I'm curious, like you, I know from 
us talking before this that you've talked a little bit about bullying when you were a kid. Yeah. And I think, I think most of us, I don't know many people who don't have some story from the playground. Mm. And I know some people were extremely bullied, but I think yeah. it kind of takes me back to that playground mentality where in a way, when you put your work out into the world publicly or even just, again, if you're in your community town hall meeting, and you're standing up as a leader or someone to, to comment, you suddenly expose yourself to all the opinions, thoughts, feelings mm. of other people. And that does take a certain kind of courage, but also practice. So it makes sense to me that you've developed enough muscle now to go a bit deeper. Mm. And I think that's why I always think the creator's journey is such an interesting one. You'll start with the seed of an idea. I feel like I want to write this book. Mm. You'll write the book. And then because of how you change through writing the book and putting it out, the next step will appear and you'll, you'll have this, you know, this, this growth journey with some dark nights of the soul occasionally or yeah. some, you know, closed periods. When was your, this, this documentary in India, when did you make that? Um, we made it in 2019. Right. And we're editing it now. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And look, dark nights of the soul often aren't just one night, right? Yeah, it's true. You have multiple dark nights of the soul. I do anyway. I yeah. did, I do. Honestly, most people do. Like most yeah. people I've ever known, there's a series of them and, yeah. and they usually last, you know, they, you know, nine months is about the average, I think, when you go through a big one as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled for yeah, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. We'll it's keep coming, our eyes coming. trained on your website. Yeah. Um, so... What was the process of the book like for you? As a, as a, going back to the original blog writing piece, how did you find writing a book? Because many of our audience are authors or they're working on books. You know, do you have any learnings from being an author and writing books? Yeah, I think the, the best learning I had was just start writing. Right. I would, to start with, I would, I would write and I would want it all to be perfect and I would never write anything. So someone once told me to write a puke draft, mm -hmm. to let it all out, right? However crap it is, just yeah. let it all out. And that's what I started to do. So I would write that draft, and then I would go back and start editing it um, and adding things and taking things out, but I got it out. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of wise people that have said, I'm going to totally butcher this, they've said something to the effect of starting is the most important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Because if you don't start, you're never going to finish. So you have to start and write that puke draft. Just let it all out and, and go from there. That's basically uh, what I do. And then obviously, you know, it takes months and months and months uh, of, of editing, of kind of making sure it's right and sending it to editors and all this kind of stuff. Do you enjoy the introversion of that process versus the extroversion of the connecting? I, I, I do not really enjoy the process of writing a book. So few people do. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like the more, the more people I talk to, there are very few people I know who love writing a book. I think partly because it's so big, it's yeah. this massive project. And secondly, the struggle of the insular nature of it for a lot of people. But what I do love is the finished book. Oh, yeah. Right? That, that, that yeah. I love. Yeah. Well, just going back a second, you know, one of the things that you said was a hesitation for you was how are people who know me, my family, my friends going to react to this? What has the effect been for you of 
moving yourself from this broker career into this more public career, but also standing for something like this and being an ambassador for kindness in this way and humanity, kindness and all the human stuff that comes with it. I imagine you've had varied reactions, but I'm curious, like, what, what have the reactions been in your friends and family? It's, it's interesting because the reactions at first were not good. Like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You're going to quit your job. Like, no, don't quit your job. Going around the world relying on kindness, have you lost your mind? Yes, I have lost my mind, actually, but whatever, that's for another discussion. Uh, well, I haven't lost my mind, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm trying to lose my mind. Yeah, trying right? to lose the but, but conditioned mind. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but it's so funny because when the show got on Netflix, mm. things shifted. Mm-hmm. People were like, ah, oh, this isn't a hobby. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> this is real. Yeah? Now, it was always real for me, but they needed to see something tangible. And Netflix was tangible. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. all right then, well done. Isn't it interesting, that validation piece? Because I've yeah. heard that from many people. I've had my own experience. You know, my family were always supportive to me as a person, but my work was very left field to them. Mm. And I think what was interesting was as my work became more popular and they came to some events and saw the people at the events, it's, it, it, I know for my dad, my dad certainly it like validated it for him because he was mm. always trying to get me to get a real job, and I'd be going, Dad, I'm kind of busy with this other thing, but he needed to see the evidence to kind of relax and go, oh, okay, I don't quite get it, but I I can see that it's valid. Mm. Yeah. So with your family now, have you noticed a shift? Because one of the things I'm aware of is when we vibrationally change in our life, it directly affects all our family members. So even if there's conflict or someone that you're not speaking to in the family like sometimes it can exacerbate that if you go off and do a lot of personal growth work but oftentimes it it's the opposite it will open up emotional communication or a bit more safety or if if you lead the way into vulnerability or anything that you've been doing I'm curious have you noticed a ripple effect in the people around you because of what you're standing for now yes to a certain degree um, yes, I, I would say that, uh, look, you can't, you know about energy better than I do, right? You can't embody a certain way and the people around you can't, will feel it. Right? It may not totally. change them. It may not kind of, you know, shift their trajectory, but they'll feel it. Yeah. And maybe subconsciously, but they'll feel it. And I always think in family groups, it's an interesting thing because I know there's a certain level of kind of unconsciousness that we just have in our family relationships because it's like, oh, we've always been around each other. You know, we kind of aren't necessarily always as clued in consciously. But I always think in family groups, there's this incredible energetic ripple effect that happens. Like, you know, for example, if a family member of mine right now is having some epiphany over in England... I won't know about it necessarily, but over the next few days, something in me might lighten up as a result of what they're doing. And I I always find that energy web between families interesting. So that's kind of what you're, yeah, what you're, what you're kind of alluding to in, in your experience. And with the production company that you had, is that still the kind of house for your work? Is that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I named it after my dog, Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm. 
So it's called Winston Entertainment. Uh, and pretty much everything I do flows through that. Very cool. Do you have, apart from this documentary, do you have a kind of vision plan for the next few years? Or are you just kind of, you know, one thing at a time, seeing what happens? Do you know, I, I never really go with plans. I'm, probably I should, right? There's nothing wrong with having a plan. I prefer to be a little bit more spontaneous. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to, you know, continue doing the TV shows, continue writing the books, continue doing the speeches. Mm. I do. Um, but I don't want to say I'm on God's plan because that sounds like ridiculously cliched. But, you know, if you get into that, you know this again better than yeah. I do. But if you get Not into necessarily, that... necessarily, by the way. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to, you know, there's, there's two of us here. So you, you yeah. just never know. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get into that flow, right? It just takes you where you need to be. Yeah. The trick is, how do you get into that flow? Mm. Because we can sit up here forever. Mm -hmm. You get into that place and you just, it's like the lazy, what's it called? The lazy river. Lazy river, is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And you just go and it goes wherever it takes you. And it's like, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I, you know, I, in, in my own way of working, and I've done this now for 17 years, even though 17 years ago, it was just one-on-one -on -one readings. It's kind of a balance for me of the plan and the structure and the intuition. Yeah. And I think if you stay open to moving the plan, um, we have things that we schedule for like, we go, oh yeah, in three months, we're going to do that. And as we approach it, it's like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel right to the team. It doesn't feel like the right time. So I think you can have a fluidity within a framework, but it is that kind of balance of framework and flow kind of, yeah. that, that yeah. it's kind of a, a good meeting point. Yeah, I yeah. like it. So Winston Churchill, how old is Winston Churchill? Unfortunately, he died. Ah, oh. it's all right. I have another one now called Archie. Okay, he's he's the same uh, breed, Boston Terrier. Okay. He's very naughty. They're very similar. It, it's weird. It feels like Winnie, like like merged into Archie. Okay. It's all a bit bizarre. What is it about having a naughty dog that you clearly enjoy and manifest it? <laughs> what, 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 what purpose is that serving? I don't know, like that <laughs> naughty little inner child that yeah. wants to be naughty and still have like a, like a parent to be like, oh, he's just being naughty, instead of having a parent that, you know, maybe takes it a bit too seriously. Yeah. Um, and the inner kid inside me wants to just play and yeah. B, right? And then Archie is like that. He's like playing. I bought a Nerf gun with like these little balls and I have like 50 little balls and I just sit there in my house. He runs. And I, we can go on for like half an hour just playing with these Nerf balls. Brilliant. And that's like, many of us never got the opportunity to play. I know that was with, with me as a yeah. kid. Someone once said to me, I'm not going to mention the name, but they said to me, all you kids want to do is have fun. We were like 10. I was like, yeah, that's all we want to do. But it was like put into us that yeah. we shouldn't have fun. Yeah. So with a crazy nut job Archie and Winnie, it enables me to just have fun. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you touched on being sensitive and the level of emotional, energetic and Again, I want to say psychic exhaustion that you would probably have after those massive mm. trips because you're in a lot of healing energy with people, both your own healing, their healing, the fact that you're also recording this for the public yeah. who are then going to have a ripple effect of healing. So it's 
you're in a bit of a healing cooker. Um, <laughs> you are, right? It's no different to, you know, if I do a workshop, it's, yeah. it's a healing cooker for a few days yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Coming out of those two seasons, how have you noticed your own psychic and emotional sensitivity sh has shifted? So I'm more aware mm. that I'm giving of my energy, mm. right? So I can like give of my energy and then I protect myself. Mm. Or if I'm giving of my energy, I protect myself if I, if I need to. Whereas in the past, it was just like this, mm -hmm. right? And I didn't realize why I was falling apart. Mm. But now it's like, okay, I'll give him my energy. And then I'm going to give that energy back to myself. And I'm not going to deplete myself to a degree where I fall apart. And I'm not a, a pro at that by any stretch of the imagination. But, and sometimes people take it in the wrong way. Like the way I get re-energized is by being silent. Mm by going into myself. But many people see that as like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you speaking? Like, you know, talk to me. And I'm like, no, please. I need to do nothing in this mm -hmm. moment. It'll help you and it'll help me. And they just, they just don't get it because most people are like this, right? Uh, so I guess I'm a little bit more aware. Now, am I a master? Absolutely not but I am definitely more aware of how to like deal with, with my energy and deal with other people's energy. I'll tell you a little story. So I had a meeting uh, maybe a year, year, and a half, year and a half ago with about five or six people in the room. And I was sitting here and the two people that were kind of having a go at each other, one was sitting here and one was sitting here. And I was in the middle. And I didn't realize I was in the middle. But after about an hour of this meeting, I was like, what am I doing? Absolutely not. So I got up and I sat over there. You have a high tolerance, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't have lasted five minutes y in the middle. Yeah, but, yeah. but I didn't. I'm not so sure it's high tolerance. It's un, uh, not right. knowing what's going on. Right. But in that moment, I was like, wow. And once I left and sat there, I was much better. Yeah. And also, it's interesting what you would have been doing in the middle when you removed yourself it might have brought that friction to a head faster in a way because you never know what you were buffering between yeah, them. Exactly. So it's kind of perfect you exactly. move. You know, as you shared what you just shared, one thing that came to me, and again, this is for anyone watching or listening who is just putting themselves out there in a bigger way in their life, whether it's public work or, you know, speaking in a bigger way, whatever it is. I think one of the objections I've often heard from people who are sensitive is they are worried that if they create something in the world or take a bigger position, they won't know how to say no when people come after them for that thing. So in your case, you're getting thousands of emails and messages. And like you said, you, you used to read all of them and kind of take all of them in. Um, have you found that has got easier for you at this point, that you're also able to monitor how much you engage with the the ripple effect afterwards. Yes. I mean, I can't answer everyone's emails. I can't answer everyone's Facebook messages. I can't answer everyone's Instagram messages. I'm sorry, I just can't. Because if I do, that's all I will do. Mm -hmm. And it will annihilate me. Mm -hmm. I remember I would sit in bed from like literally 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and all I would do is answer messages, right? And on some level, it's a beautiful thing. But by the end of that 9 p.m., I, I was a vegetable. 
I was like, what am I doing? So I just can't do it. Yeah. And that's another aspect of like being aware, being aware of that energy, um, which most of us aren't, right? And I was, and I am to a certain degree, that my little space of understanding. Yeah. So as we come to the end of this conversation, I know that leonlogothetis.com is your website and we will share that in the show notes and that's where people can find everything you're doing and a window into your world. Yes. You are going to develop uh, in the coming months uh, a membership community that's still in gestation but focused around kindness, Absolutely. Right? Which is awesome and I, I, I think that will be very popular. I hope so. Yeah. It'll be fun. I mean, people always say to me, how do I be kind? Uh, you know, you be kind, like I told you, you be kind by going to the gym of emotional well-being is how you be kind. Yeah, and I think, interestingly, in you talking about the, the the desire to commune with you more, but you can't, you know, you can't answer everybody in a single mm, level, mm. you creating this kind of community is, is going to be a perfect way to engage with some of that in a different way and create a forum for others, because I think... I think all of us, especially with the last year or so, that I'm hearing more and more people wanting to be proactive in life in a very different way, like waking up from the conditioned stuff and going, how can I create a different reality and a different world out there? So I salute you for doing what you do, even Thank though you. I know I don't need to because I know you get <laughs> as much out of doing it as, as anyone else does. Yeah. But um, I think it's a really important topic for us to to focus kindness in the world so thank you leon and thank you for being here today with us and thank you for having me and thank you for believing in me because i wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't believe in me of course of course yeah so thank you to everyone for tuning in today we will see you next time on impact the world and as ever we'll put links to leon's work in the show notes so until next time bye bye Welcome to Transmissions 2021. We are bringing Transmissions back this summer because last year when we first presented it, it was not only our most popular offering ever, we had several thousand of you join us from around the world. It was a way that I and my team could bring some of the energy of Soul Magic, our annual retreat, to you in the comfort of your own home, more affordably and with no limit on how many people we could serve. So Transmissions is a metaphysical, intuitive, and self-growth deep dive to allow you to cultivate more energy for your life and for you to bring to the world. The themes for this year are going to be joy, healing, expression, freedom, and magic. The way that these topics are explored is through five live broadcasts where I will not only teach intuitively, but I will channel my guides the Z's. We provide transcripts, audio downloads of each session. There is an energy blueprint that you will receive ahead of the course starting where I write a document basically that I channel about what energies we're going to be cultivating, looking at, moving, releasing. We also have several supplemental materials and videos from members of my team. So there are meditations, there are videos that help you support yourself as you go through a journey like this. We also have the private members forum, which is away from social media, so you can privately share and discuss with all other members of the course. The final element of our transmissions courses is the music album that Devor Bozik and I create. 
This is both spoken word and music, and it's five 10-minute tracks. You may have seen that we've just publicly released last year's album, which we created for course members. So you can stream that right now on Spotify or wherever you get your music. But for this year, we will exclusively be bringing you Transmissions Volume 2, which will be available this year only to course members. So we invite you to check out the course page, read more details, and if it resonates for you to join us for Transmissions 2021, we would love to welcome you aboard.